0: Because we are in a battle Amen Not only are we in a battle We are at war Amen I'm going to preach like people are listening, okay (laughs) First Peter chapter 2 We're going to be in verse 11 Now Now As I begin this, I want you to understand several things. Number one, the church today and its softening of sin has driven my heart to seek God on what his word says we are to do in regards to sin. Okay? And... If you only go back a hundred years, the church took sin much more seriously than it does now. If you go back just a hundred years, preachers preached about sin much more than they preach about sin today. And there's a reason why people don't preach about sin today is because the natural man doesn't want reminded of his sin, okay? The natural man is in love with sin. The natural man clings, longs to fulfill, longs to run after sin. And I fear that we live in a day filled with people who claim to be believers, who claim to be a part of God's church, who look at sin in a very meaning, uh, in a very light way. They look at sin as if it is a small thing. They look at sin as if it is maybe a problem. But the Bible is very clear that sin is the absolute enemy that Jesus came to defeat. Sin is what separates us from God. Sin is the thing that should be shunned by the believer. Sin should be abhorred by those who love Christ. Those who love Christ should hate sin. Those who love Christ should hate sin in them. Those who love Christ should hate sin in their life. Not only should they recognize that they are sinners, because a lot of people nowadays, they'll do this. They'll placate the preacher and they'll say, yeah, I know we're all sinners. See, the problem is, a hundred years ago, it was absolutely thought of as Christian duty to wage war against sin. To wage war against sin in my life, to wage war against sin in my home, to wage war against sin in the church house, to wage war against sin in the community. But we don't live in that day. And today, all sin is accepted. And those who preach the truth are shunned. Those who preach against sin are looked at as if they are uh, an aberration, like they're uh, crazy, as if they're a, a fringe element of Christianity that's just being really legalistic. They're just legalists. They're just, they're just. Uh, uh, what was the word we used to use back in the day? They're, they're uh, uh, radical. They're radicals. They're radical Christians. They're just, they're just really radical. You don't have to do that and be a Christian. Beloved, I challenge you that you must do that if you're a Christian. I challenge you that the Bible requires you to do that as a Christian. That the born-again believer is admonished over and over and over in Scripture to wage a good warfare, to fight a good fight, to keep the faith. Yes, we acknowledge that we fall short, but we never look at our shortcomings and say, that's okay. We never look at where we have stumbled and said, it's all right that I stumbled. As a matter of fact, you go back a hundred years ago when they did stumble, they they would be on their face before God if they truly were born again. You see, we've been preaching, and I'm just going to flip through my notebook here. And this may be a culmination of several sermons altogether, but I didn't go back and look at any of these notes, okay? I, I preached a message, and i got to flip back through my notebook, so you've got to give me a second. I didn't plan this, so uh, you can bear with me for just a minute on february 20 oh let's see no march march 2nd i preached a message called don't love the world i preached from 1 john chapter 2 which we're going to read again tonight but I preached that message about not loving the world or the things of the world because if you love the world, the love of the Father is not in you. The reality of this statement is that you can't be half-hearted. You can't be okay with sin in your life. You can't be okay with going on sinning and not care, which is what we see today. Do you realize just a hundred years ago when people were living in these kind of sinful things, they shunned the church, they shunned wise counsel. But nowadays, people live in open rebellion and open sin in the church. And I fear it's because they're really not a church, and they're really not part of the church, and that their ears are so deafened and their hearts so hardened by sin that even the truth of the gospel is not penetrating the hardness of their hearts their consciences have been seared with a hot iron they do not fear God and they do not love God but they claim to be believers a couple weeks later I don't even say a couple weeks later. I think it was, uh, let's see, what was the next one? March, and this was just a couple weeks ago. I, I, I preached a message called Your Responsibility to Live Unto God. Your Responsibility to Live Unto God. Christian duty and what it means to really, really live my life. Christ and then we talked about the ordinary means of grace we talked about what it meant by the means of grace and what God has given us to live our lives for him the reality that we are at war should well be on every Christian's mind. The reality that the sin that I love is the enemy God hates should be a brutal reality that causes Christian to repent, turn from sin, and flee to Christ. So we read in our scripture, in First Peter chapter 2, verse 11. Is it first Peter? Well, I don't think I wrote the right one down, if that's right. <clears throat> well, uh, yes, yes. It says, "Dearly beloved, I beseech you as strangers and pilgrims." To abstain from fleshly lusts which wage war against your souls. Do you understand that the world, the flesh, and the devil are all things that are out to turn your life against God? The world, the flesh, and the devil are things that we must wrestle with. Things that we must wage war against. I can't, I can't simply say I'm a Christian and say God has saved me by his grace. And since he saved me by his grace, well, I just don't have to do anything. And, and there's no part for me in this battle. But that's not what scripture teaches us. Note the very first thing in 1 Peter 2.11. He says, Dearly beloved, I beseech you. The word beseech is not a common greeting. It's not a common, hey, I think you might want to do this. When you beseech somebody, you are coming to them earnestly. You're earnestly, emphatically beseeching them. I beseech you. I urge you. That's right. I urge you as strangers and pilgrims. Why does he call them strangers and pilgrims? Because you are to be in the world, but not of the world. You are to be In this world, but not to live as the world lives. You are to be in this world, but not behave as the world behaves. You are to be in the world, but you're not to befriend the world. You see, we have a a glaring problem in modern Christianity where we have taken Christ in their own mind in one hand and we still hold on to the world with the other hand. That's not salvation. That's not the born again experience. The born again experience is the abandonment of myself. It's the abandonment Of my love for the world It's the abandonment Of my love For anything else Except Christ That's born again experience Firstly let us realize He says Abstain I guess secondly let us realize I already said first so I can't say it again Abstain from fleshly lusts. Now, this isn't just sexual sins. Fleshly lusts are are arrogance and pride and haughtiness and anger and wrath and backbiting and gossiping. Amen? All of these things come from the flesh. All of these things are stirred up from our sinful nature. Amen? So we're to abstain from them. What does that mean? Don't do it. Stay away from it. Don't mimic it. Don't latch yourself to that. Don't do the things that the world do. If the world does this, you don't do that. What do I do instead? What the Bible tells me to do. And we're going to get to that. Notice, thirdly, in this verse, that these things wage war against your soul. Beloved, we are at war. And there are thousands upon thousands upon thousands of Professing, and I mark that word, professing Christians. I say that because I find it difficult that all of these professing Christians who are in love with the world and in love with their own flesh and in love with their own desires and in love with everything except the things of God, I find it hard to believe that all of those are genuine believers. I think we need to take a serious look at what the Bible says about sin and about our own outlook about sin and understand that there is a vast chasm between how God sees sin and how I see sin and how the church today teaches about sin. I think we need to get in real line with what the word of God says, that sin is our mortal enemy and it is seeking To kill us. Sin is our enemy. This flesh is our enemy. The world is our enemy. The devil is our enemy. And they all want to take you out. Yet we want to walk around with this fly-by-the-seat-of-our-pants Christianity that has no root, that has no doctrine, that has no uh, standard and believe we're born again. We are at war. Turn with me, if you will, to Romans chapter 7. And I'm only going to read one verse, I believe. Romans 7 verse 23. Paul is lamenting the fact that he knows that inside of him there is now the born again man who is formed in the image of Christ. That he has been saved and redeemed. But he also says, but I see here, verse 23, but I see a law, another law in my members. warring." There's that word again. Warring against the law of my mind and bringing me into captivity to the law of sin which is in my members. I want you to understand that the born again believer still is waging a war with this old flesh. The born again believer is still at war with this old flesh. And if you think the war's not going on, I question whether or not you really know Christ, because if you know Christ, your desires have changed, your loves has changed. The things that you used to love to do, now you're ashamed of those things. Born again people understand that there's a war going on inside of me. My old man seeks to stay alive, and the new man that is controlled by the Spirit of God is ever trying to crucify this old man and kill him and put him away. Beloved, it doesn't happen. It never happens this way. It never happens that the old man is crucified only by the Spirit of God, and you have nothing that you have to do. We just read where Peter said, abstain, abstain from the fleshly lust. Why? Because they wage war against your soul. That's command number one, abstain. Paul says, I see another law at work in me, and this is the indwelling sin that every believer has to deal with Every day we have this corrupted flesh that we're still living in and it wages war against our soul. Yet we have churches filled with content members, content with living in their fleshly lusts, content with teaching that fleshly lusts are okay. Think about all the fleshly lusts that we are saying is okay. We could go and read the fleshly lusts, which we will do, that are not okay. Some of which are happening in church today. Fornication. Adultery. Lasciviousness. Homosexuality. Those are just the sexual sins. How about some other sins of the lust? Anger, malice, wrath. Can I get an amen? And all of these things we pass by and we look at them as if, oh, they're no big deal. But do you understand that the Bible says that the soul who sinneth shall surely die? And God hates the God hates every evildoer. And this should cause us. To get on our face. And flee to the foot of the cross. And say Why well, is me. But we don't. Why do we not do this? Why do we have such a low view of sin. When God utterly detests sin. Flip over to Romans 8. Verse 13. And I may read a couple more verses than this one, okay? Maybe not. For if ye live after the flesh, ye shall die. But if ye, notice who he's talking to, if ye, who's ye? You who are born again. If ye through the Spirit do mortify the deeds of the body, He shall live. So what's the answer to killing the old man? What's the answer to crucifying the flesh? Paul says it this way. He says, I beat my body daily. And bring it into subjection. Why? So that after I have preached, I won't be disqualified. The reality is Paul, even though he knows he's saved by grace, sees a Christian duty to bring his body, his lust of the flesh under subjection to Jesus Christ. What other parts of our body do we have to bring into subjection? Our mind. Why? Because we, we have to take every thought captive to the knowledge of Christ. Right. Why? Because I need the mind of Christ. Why? So that I will look at sin the way Christ looked at sin. So that I will look at sin the way the Bible looks at sin. So that I will see my flesh that is seeking to corrupt my soul as the enemy of my life. That's it. That's what walking in newness of life means. I wrote a little note on my Bible here. We are called to mortify these deeds. This involves actively waging warfare against these things. Fleeing situations, fleeing circumstances, or fleeing people that will give sin or lust or temptation and advantage over you, you should flee these things. But don't flee aimlessly. Don't just run away from sin. Run to Christ. Amen. Run to the Word of God. Run to the Spirit of God. Don't just run away from sin. You can because here's the thing: I can't just abstain from something and hope that my flesh will finally die because I can't kill the flesh. I can't kill the spirits of this world. The weapons of my warfare are not carnal, so just abstaining from something will not kill the flesh. What must I have? Through the spirit. It is only through the born-again experience and the spirit of God that God gives you to overcome Amen? Without God's help, you will never crucify the old man. Without God's help, you will never have victory over the devil. Without God's help, you will never have victory over the world. You see, if we try to gain victory over the world in our own power, it won't work. Jesus said, be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. Not you. I have. How am I going to have victory over the world? Through Christ, who's overcome the world. How am I going to have victory over the devil? By Christ, who's overcome the devil. How am I going to have victory over the flesh? Through Christ, who lived a perfect life in the flesh. This is the only way. So don't just flee these things. Flee them, yes, but run to Christ. Let's have some verses for fleeing sin. Turn with me, if you will, to 2 Timothy chapter 2. 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 22. 2, 22, yes. 2 Timothy 2, verse 22. Oh, let's let's start do verse 21 to just for context. If a man therefore purge himself from these, he shall be a vessel unto honor, sanctified and meet for the master's use and prepared unto every good work. Flee also youthful lusts, but follow after righteousness, faith. Charity, peace, and with them that call on the Lord out of a pure heart. Oh, now we got a direction, amen. Don't just flee youthful lusts, but run after. Follow righteousness. Follow faith. Follow love. Follow in the way of peace and do it with those who call Christ their Lord. Tap your neighbor on on their shoulder and tell them you need other people. You you need other godly people. Turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 6. I'm purposely going to read these ones because these ones have the language and the understanding that we need in understanding what it is to, to stand against sin and to flee these things. 1 Corinthians chapter 6 verse 18 He says flee flee fornication Every sin that a man does is without the body but he that committeth fornication sinneth against his own body Do you see this Do you understand now When Peter says, flee, where he says, abstain from fleshly lust. Why? Because they wage war against your soul. And he's telling you that fornication is one of these sins that is not an outward thing only. You're not just sinning against someone else. Now you're sinning against your own self. You're at war with your own self when you're doing these things. They bring you down. They corrupt you. They keep you from being what God could make of you. Do You understand. Turn with me to 1 Corinthians 10, verse 13. We have the same language. Uh, is, is it First Corinthians? Maybe it's Second Corinthians. Let me look real quick. Yeah, maybe I got it wrong. Oh, yeah, now I got it right. There hath no temptation taken you but such is common to man. But God is faithful. Mm-hmm who will not suffer you to be tempted above that ye are able, but with the temptation also will make a way of escape that you may be be able to bear it. Listen to me. The way of escape is open for one reason, for you to do just what he said in chapter 6, to flee, to run away, to get out of there. How do I abstain from these things? I run away from any sign. We're supposed to abstain from the very appearance of evil. Flee. Run away. Get out of that situation. Get out of that circumstance. Get away from that person. That's what the Bible says. Let's keep going. 1 Timothy 6. We're going to turn back to 1 Timothy Chapter 6. Verse 11. <clears throat> but thou, O man of God, free these things, and follow after righteousness, godliness, faith, love, patience, Meekness, fight the good fight of faith, lay hold on eternal life whereunto thou art called and hast professed a good profession before many. I charge you in the sight of God who quickeneth all things and before Christ Jesus who before Pontius Pilate witnessed a good confession that thou keepest this command without spot unrebukable Unto the appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ. Keep this command without spot, unrebukable. No one should rebuke you for running away from evil, sin. And if they do, they're not out for your good, they're a sinner. They're calling you away from Christ. And you should ignore that person. Matter of fact, later on he says, have nothing to do with them. We are to do several things. And I'm going to go through these pretty quick. And I might just cite the verses for some of this, okay? But we are supposed to resist the devil. Resist the The devil. We talked about now. First we talked about the enemy within. Amen. The enemy of my flesh. The enemy of indwelling sin. That's always besetting me. He says let us lay aside every weight and sin. That does so easily beset us. And run with patience the race that's set before us. We talked about how to do that. Flee. Get away from those things that will cause you to do it. Number two, the devil. The devil is a roaring lion, roaming around, seeking whom he may devour. How do I fight such an enemy? How do I fight an enemy that not even Michael the archangel would bring a charge against? James 4, 7. Submit yourself unto God. Resist the devil. And he will flee from you. 1 Peter chapter 5 verse 8. And I do want to turn to this one really quick. Because I think this is important for you to get. That James is not the only person that tells you to resist the devil. Okay, 1 Peter chapter 5. I'm going to read verse 8 and 9. Be sober. Be vigilant. Because your adversary, the devil, as a roaring lion, walketh about seeking whom he may devour. Whom resist? He tells you right here in verse 9. Whom resist steadfast in the faith, knowing that the same afflictions are accomplished in your brethren that are in the world? He tells you that the devil is a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour and in the very next verse he tells you how to do this resist him how do I do that good question Ephesians chapter 6 verse 11 through uh, verse 11 and 12 we can turn there just for context just so you can see it with your own eyes just so you can Understand that it's here. And this is the purpose for which we understand it's here. Ephesians chapter 6 verse 11 says. Put on the whole armor of God that ye may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. Amen. The whole armor of God so that I can stand against the wiles of the devil or the ESV I believe says the schemes of the devil okay you got to understand why or how Satan is going to come against you he's going to use your fleshly lust and he's going to entangle you in them no man can say when he's tempted that God is tempting him But every man is tempted when he's drawn away. Drawn away by whom? (laughs) The devil. Drawn away by his own lusts. And enticed. You see, the devil is going to exploit the things that your flesh loves. And he's going to make them more enticing. He's going to make it so good That you you want it and you want it now. And you got to be knowledgeable that that's what's happening in your life. And you got to be willing to say, this is a weakness of my flesh. And I'm going to do everything in my power through the spirit of God to wage war against this thing. Beloved, we are called not to love the world. 1 John 2, 15 through 17. I'm not going to turn there. We've went over this over and over. I'm going to give you the gist of it. He says, love not the world or the things of the world because the world is passing away and the lusts thereof. But if you love the world, the love of the Father is not in you. Do you see that the, the, all of these professing Christians who claim Christ yet love the world, they love their flesh, and they love the things that the devil gives them. The Bible says that those people don't have the love of God in them. And they are in a terrible condition. Why are they in such a terrible condition? Because pastors for far too long have taught that sin is just some meaningless little thing and we don't take for severity how grievous sin is sin sent Christ to the cross God was so serious about sin that he wiped out every living creature on the planet in the days of Noah. God was so serious about sin that he sent angels to destroy the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah and of the plains. Not just two cities, but all the cities of the plain. There's a story where God sent an angel that killed 157,000 people in one night. Because of sin. Sin was so serious that had God not sent his son, every man, woman, and child on this planet would have been plunged into hell. That's how serious sin is to God. We are called to hate even The garment stained with sin. Turn with me, if you will, to the book of Jude. Just before the book of Revelation, that little tiny letter, Jesus' brother Jude writes these words in verses 21 through 23. He says, Keep yourself in the love of God, looking for the mercy of the Lord Jesus Christ, unto eternal life and of some have compassion making a difference and others save with fear pulling them out of the fire hating even the garment spotted by the flesh. You see beloved we ain't supposed to love the world or the things of the world. We're not to ally ourselves, We're not to be unequally yoked with the world. Yet we have professing believers doing this very thing. I want to read a note here out of the uh, Reformation Heritage Study Bible. He has this note. He says, Keep yourself in the love of God. He says, Protect yourself from anything that would draw you away from God the Father. Trusting that in His love He has sanctified you and is preserving you till the day of Christ. How to do this is scrutinally, uh, uh, uh excuse me, scrutinally sup- explained, excruciatingly explained with three principles: build yourself up in your most holy faith, grow in your understanding. And love the truths given by God. The opposite of following false teaching is this. Praying in the Holy Ghost, regularly talking with the Father by the knowledge and assurance given by the Spirit through Jesus Christ. The opposite of this is being devoid of the Spirit. Looking for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ, anticipating the great hope of the grace to be experienced when the Lord Jesus returns to give us eternal life in its full glory and full effect. The opposite of living for this world, note how these verses reflect the Trinity, knowing God the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit is extremely practical in the Christian spiritual experience having compassion on those who are in spiritual danger saving them if possible from the hell from the fires of hell contending for the faith requires us to have compassion for the lost especially for those in the church in danger of apostasy making a difference could be understood as contending exercising discernment those who waver In doubt, the persons on whom we must have compassion are these, hating even the garment spotted by the flesh. This Old Testament language, I want to read a few verses for you that I'm going to flip through real quick. I'm going to go to 1 Corinthians chapter 5. I'm almost done. Somebody say amen. I'm almost done. 1 Corinthians chapter 5 verse 8. He says let us there, uh, therefore let us keep the feast not with old leaven neither with leaven of malice and of wickedness but with the leaven with the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth I wrote unto you in an epistle not to company with fornicators yet not altogether with fornicators of this world. Or with the covetous, or extortioners, or with idolaters, for then must ye needs go out of the world. But now I have written unto you to not to keep company, if any man is called a brother, be and he be a fornicator, or covetous, or an idolater, or a railer, or a drunkard, or an extortioner, with such a one, do not eat. what have I to do to judge them also that are without? Do ye not judge them that are within? But them that are without, God judges. Therefore, put away from among yourselves that wicked person. Do you see how the apostles see sin? Do you see how the apostles saw sin in the church? So now we saw sin in our life. We saw sin that you know, or the devil that is our enemy, and we saw the world that's our enemy. And he's talking about us, and now he's talking about even the church. That this should not be happening. Flip back to 2 Timothy chapter three. 2 Timothy chapter three. I really am trying to hurry, guys. Verse 5, these people have a form of godliness, but deny the power thereof. Remember this verse? Do you remember these, how this chapter starts out? Know this also, that in the last days perilous times shall come. Men shall be lovers of their own self, covetous boast, boasters. Proud, blasphemers, disobedient to their parents, unthankful, unholy, without natural affection, truth breakers, false accusers, in contempt, fierce, despisers of those that are good, traitors, heady, high minded, lovers of pleasure, more than lovers of God, having a form of godliness, but denying the power, and tell me what he says to do, from such, turn away. Get away from them. Don't align yourself with them. What's the answer? To conquering the world, to conquering my flesh, to conquering the devil. Submitting to God, resisting the devil. Fleeing from things that will cause you to sin. Amen? Flip right forward to 2 Thessalonians. We're going to read 2 Thessalonians 3 verse 14. And if any man obey not you excuse me if any man obey not our word by this epistle note that man and have no company with him that he may be ashamed yet count him not as an enemy but admonish him as a brother here again, we're told that if these people won't listen, don't have company with them. Lastly, on this, on this topic, just this topic here of, of not having anything to do with the world and, and, and hating even the garment stained with sin, turn with me to Revelation 3. And we're going to look at verse 3, or excuse me, verse 4, and then verse 18 and 19. So verse 4 says this, Thou hast a few names, even in Sardis, which have not defiled their garments. Note that word. They have not defiled their garments. We already know from Peter, defiling uh, the garment stained with sin is the lust of the flesh, right? So their garments aren't stained why? Cuz they're not submitting to the lust of the flesh. They're abstaining from the lust of the flesh, so their garments clean. Verse 4. That's what he says. He says, "Thou hast a few names even in Sardis which have not defiled their garments, and they shall walk with me in white, for they are worthy." Verse 18. I counsel thee to buy, me, uh, buy of me gold tried in fire that thou mightst be rich and white in raiment that thou might be clothed and that the shame of thy nakedness do not appear anoint thy eyes with eyes sad, that thou mayest see as many as I love I rebuke and I chasten be zealous therefore and repent So the answer to the question that I know most surely anybody will have watching this, and maybe even you have in your own mind, well, what's the remedy if I have been doing this? Repent turn to Christ. Be zealous and repent. You haven't been waging a good warfare, then you get up off of your behind and you start waging a good warfare. If you ain't been praying and you ain't been seeking God over the sin that's in your own life, then you get on your knees and you get in your prayer closet and you pray. If you haven't come to a good understanding of what the Bible calls sin, then you open your Bible and you look at what the Bible calls sin and you submit to what the Bible calls sin and you stop doing it. We're called in Ephesians 5 to not have any fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness but to expose them. 2 Timothy three fourteen through 17 says that the word of God is the thing that makes us fully equipped, ready for every good work. Paul tells Timothy, remember those things that you have learned and heard of me. Remember the word of God that is able to make you wise unto salvation. All scripture is given by inspiration of God and useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting and training in righteousness. We need the word of God in this warfare. Ephesians 6:10 through 18 where he talks about the armor of God, where we're to put on the armor of God to stand against the wiles of the devil and then he tells us what the armor of God is, the helmet of salvation, the breastplate of righteousness, the belt of truth, feet shod with the gospel of peace amen the shield of faith sword of the spirit and then what does he tell you to do pray with all kinds of prayer and supplication and watching there unto watching what watching the wiles and the schemes of the devil who's coming against you watching your own walk with Christ So that it's straight and going right down the narrow path. Keeping a watch over those around you. That they're not leading you astray. Fighting the good fight. Because we are at war. Finally, I want to leave you with the words of Colossians chapter 3. I'm going to be closing here. Colossians chapter 3, and we've read this over and over and over. Another solution, another solution, another solution. I'm going to read verse 1 and 2. If ye then be risen with Christ, seek those things which are above, where Christ sitteth on the right hand of God. Set your affections on things above and not on things of this earth. So the answer to this question of what this fight looks like, we know we need prayer. We we know we need God's word. We know we need God's spirit. But we also know that we're to flee these useless, worthless works of the flesh. We're to flee from them, run away, and run to Christ. Five, we are supposed to resist. Resist the world, resist the flesh, resist the devil. Finally, we're to set our affections on Christ, on things above. We are to count this life as loss, All the things that we have are lost. And Christ is our gain. Christ is our prize. Christ is our goal. Christ is our aim. Not just where we want to go, but who we want to please. Who we're living for. It's no longer I that live, but Christ that lives in me. In the life I now live, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Give yourself over to Christ. Submit yourself to God. Then you can resist. Then you can fight. Then you can flee. But until you be Christ's, None of these are possible. Until you're born again, none of this fight is possible for you to even win. But if you are in Christ, you have every tool you need for victory. Amen? Let's pray. Father God, we thank you and praise you that even in our weakness where we have Sin and fallen short of your glory, which we all have. Lord, we know that your word says that if we say we have no sin, that we are a liar and the truth is not in us. Lord, we know that you would, that we would never sin. But John tells us that if any man does sin, he has an advocate with the Father. One Jesus Christ, the righteous, who ever liveth to make intercession for us. So, Lord, we come to you tonight being a people of unclean lips, living in a land of people of unclean lips, and we cast ourselves at the throne room of God, in the at the feet of Almighty God, at the foot of the cross, at the foot of the Savior who loved us and gave himself for us, who stands at the right hand of God to intercede for us. And we beg upon your mercy tonight, God, that you would forgive our feeble weaknesses, that you would forgive our sins and strengthen us in our inner man, that we might be built up to a perfect man, who knows the height and the depth and the width and the breadth of the love of God, who who together with all the saints can comprehend this, that we might be filled with all the fullness to the full measure of Christ, that we might be conformed into His image, that Christ would have glory in His church again throughout all generations.